This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Absock, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire here on Anchor. You downloaded the Anchor app where you can comment, you can share these segments, you can call in and then share the segments that you call in. Do it. Anchor is going places, happy to be part of the team, happy that Daily Thrones has its home here on Anchor. Guys, let's talk the ending of the show. And I'm not saying... Let's speculate here about who dies, who survives, who ends up on the throne. How do we kill the Night King? There's a lot of that still to come and a lot of that that has come before. We love to speculate about that. But I'm talking about the actual like ending of the story. And what if it ends up that all of this has been told by Samuel Tarley? What if we do the Bilbo Baggins, Frodo Baggins kind of ending here where this is all captured in a book by Samuel Tarley? Now, we know when he talked to Maester Ebros down there at the uh, Citadel, it was strongly hinted that one of the books Ebros was working on and wanted to write uh, was a book that was telling the story and saga of what was going on right now. And he wanted to title it, uh, The Name Escapes Me, Something Long. And Sam said, how about something short and catchy? It was one of those meta moments in the show where you are just waiting for Sam to say, you know, like something like the Game of Thrones. It's a fun wink, but it's also true. It would make some kind of sense. These uh, books are very important in Westeros. And the maesters are the uh, ones who document the history. They're the keepers of the history. Now, the first obstacle in this course is Sam currently not a maester and currently not in school to become a maester ditching, running out. He's got a biggest, bigger story to tell. But when this all comes to pass, when it all ends, I do believe Samwell Tarley will be one of the ones that survive. Now, will he take his place up in a seat of power for House Tarley? Does he go back to uh, his family now that his brother Dickon and his father Randall are no longer with us? Charred. Charred, smoky remains. Dust in the hills beyond King's Landing. Um, That's possible. But I, I guess Sam doesn't necessarily have to be a maester to write this story. This could just be something he uh, he says, gets published, and that's how the story ends. Would you guys feel cheated by that? Would you feel it's too similar to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit? Well, keep in mind this. George R. R. Martin is a Tolkien fan, and this series in many ways is his version of a Tolkien adventure. So I wouldn't be surprised if Samwell does that, it's kind of an ode to what Tolkien did with Frodo and, and Bilbo. Also, keep in mind, I do believe I'm, I'm one of those people that looks at Samwell Tarley and, uh, and he sees George R. R. Martin down to even the beard. Uh, it is, in many ways, George putting himself in the story and being uh, the man lost in his sci-fi books, lost in his fantasies, but also writing it all down wanting to capture the history. I believe when Samuel Tarley walks into the Citadel and sees that library for the first time, I believe, and that's that's a moving moment. 
It is a very moving moment. I have seen people cry at that moment. I was moved by that moment as well. I think that's very much from George R. R. Martin's point of view. Him, not just necessarily into walking into the Game of Thrones world, but just books, libraries, storytelling, writing in general. So what do you feel? Would it cheapen the story? Would it feel like a St. Elsewhere's uh, vision uh, inside of a, you know, a, a kid's head, a, a dream sequence? Would it take away from it too much? I, for one, would be happy with it. I, for one, would be interested to see if that's how it goes and what version of the story would Samwell tell. He wasn't around for all of it. So does, uh, do we do a, a fade out and then a fade in and then you see Samwell Tarly putting the finishing touches, having interviewed everyone involved who's still alive, have, including maybe, uh, you know, free folk getting their whole story? Could this all be from his point of view? Now, of course, the books have character points of view. So could it end differently in the books or in a different part uh, a different way it could but it still could close with Samwell saying I've got a story to tell and that story is the Game of Thrones let me know what you think here on Daily Thrones one of the things we all are doing looking towards season 8 is seeing the players and the characters that are left in the game and where they fit in and going into season seven one of the biggest questions i personally had was how does Arya stark fit into the story now that she was back in westeros i thought she was going to be the batman of westeros in many ways she was but now that story is done she's taken out the phrase she's taken out baelish we know we're placed now a lot of people didn't like how that was executed pun and no pun intended depending on your point of view um I liked it more than other people did, but I get the complaints about the relationship between Arya and Sansa, how it undercut a lot of their growth and a lot of their, um, just who they were. And I understand, but it is what it is. It has happened. Baelish is gone. And one of the most powerful players in the game is no longer playing the game, but Arya is left. Sansa is left. But season eight, the focus is on the Night King. The focus is on this big war for the dawn. Where does Arya Stark factor in now? Could it be that she is here to complete her list, finally? That she turns south and goes towards Cersei Lannister? Are the theories of her wearing the face of another to kill Cersei Lannister, are those true? It's possible, and that's intriguing. I do like the idea of Cersei uh, being killed by Arya. I do like the idea, just in general, of Arya finishing out her list so important to who she was but I look at the scene with Nymeria and the returning wolf pack I think that scene was Arya giving up a lot of what her personal revenge tour was about heading home but realizing much like Nymeria and just like Arya said way before that what was at Winterfell other than family is not for her family was more important than her personal quest for vengeance, her personal quest for revenge. If she had kept going south as planned, I think we all would have been happy. We all would have been satisfied. I think more people would have been happier with Arya Stark killing Cersei than Baelish. But it didn't work out that way. So here we are now. Arya is in Winterfell. Sansa is holding down the fort for Jon. 
John will come back and at some point learn he's kind of the king, the king of it all. What will that do to Arya? First, she might have a weird reaction because Jon Snow was Ned's son to Arya, and that was important. Their relationship was important. Their reunion is going to be one of the best on the show, should it happen, and I believe it will. But will Jon be an Aegon Targaryen? Um, will, will that affect Arya in any way? I don't think it'll be negative, but maybe it'll mess with her mind just a little bit. And then the big question, where does Arya factor in now? Does she re-pick up this journey? Does she go south? Because Cersei is still a factor. Does Arya feel she can take Cersei out? Kind of even the playing field. We don't have to worry about Cersei. If Arya can kill her, we just had to worry about the Night King. But if the focus is on the Night King and the March South, where does Arya factor into that? What do you guys feel? Is she still the Batman of Westeros? Do we still want to see her complete that journey? Or do we want to see her... Uh, Take her place by her brother's side in the battlefield for the bigger war, the war for the dawn. Is that where you want her to go? And then when Melisandre returns, will Arya be there? And will Arya be the one to kill Melisandre? And what will the purpose of that be? That could be the collision course we all need to look for. It's not Arya and Cersei. It's not Arya and the Night King. It's not Arya and Sansa, Danny, or anyone else. It might just be Arya and Melisandre. And how could that affect the story? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. As you guys know, I've been on the road this weekend traveling, getting these broadcasts out, either pre-taped or when I can. I appreciate your guys' response. Call into the station favorite Daily Thrones here on Anchor so you don't miss a broadcast. And don't forget, we do have a podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review if you have a chance. We'll see you next time on Daily Thrones. Hi, Ken. Just thinking about the idea of Samwell, the author. Now, this is a theory I don't dislike, and I don't particularly like it either. Um, I'd be okay with it if it happened, but it wouldn't really tickle my fancy. Um, Partially because I think of two things whenever I think of this, uh, the author narrator or the the revealed narrator at the end of a story. I think of two things. Um, First off, like you mentioned, Frodo. Um, but I feel like at the end of Return of the King, Frodo's writing the story is is not so much him being the narrator and, and more of an integral piece of the story that that his his part of this is now closed. Um, that's always the scene I got from that with Frodo as he leaves. Um, and then Princess Bride, where the grandfather is reading, that's less of an example, but very ham-fisted. Um, and Game of Thrones just isn't... Um, that type of show to me. So, wondering what you think. Thanks for taking the call and have a great day. Hey, Ken. So, check it in. So, the ending you're talking about with the book and Samwell, I would not have a problem with that ending. I actually think that would be kind of fitting, to be honest. Now, I would have a problem with an ending that, say, it, this was all just a dream, that none of this that we're seeing actually happened. It was just someone's imagination. That I would have a problem with. I would not like that kind of an ending. But the book ending... I would be perfectly happy with it. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. When it gets to your question of Samuel, the author, it reminds me of a movie with Dustin Hoffman called Little Big Man, where Dustin Hoffman is playing a, I believe, a 100-year-old survivor of Little Bighorn. 
and a reporter just trying to document this uh, genetarian's life story. And Dustin Hoffman ends up giving this uh, huge tale of his life and, and how everything happened. Uh, I kind of see it almost ending this that way, where Sam is the head of the Citadel and has got his family, and he's on his, I don't want to say his deathbed, but there's a young maester uh, who is just recording uh, the events for Sam, as Sam recalls them. Uh, and then it's the young maester that perhaps names everything uh, the story of Ice and Fire or the Game of Thrones. Thanks. I'm Ken Avsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of Ice and Fire. And yesterday, I put out the idea of Samuel Tarley being the author of it all. At the end of the show, at the end of the story, we get to see that we've heard about this from his point of view. Or, at very least, that he's written a book about this, The Game of Thrones, something that Maester Ebros was working on. Will you? It got me thinking. Will you guys be satisfied if there is no... Here's what happened next part of this story. We keep calling it the Return of the King ending, but even that went on went, went only so far into the history, past the events of the Lord of the Rings. I'm talking about, let's say there is a fade out, and we fade back in, and it's a, a story that Sam is telling, and then we get to see where he has been. And this isn't just six months from now. This is years from now. Let's say the big change has come to the world, I think it still is the idea of democracy, that the wheel will be broken. And that is why some of the focus is on Danny, or children, or lack of possibility of children, what happens after. And uh, Jon Snow having now a claim, but it's all about these claims now, and break that wheel. Democracy comes to the land. Let's say we have the uh, the fade in, and it's 10 years later. It's 20 years later. Are, are you going to want to hear those stories? Uh, I don't know if necessarily... Uh, we know the spinoff series aren't going to be in the pre the future. They're going to be prequels. Um, I don't think George will have time to tell the continuing adventures of Jon Snow, Aegon Targaryen now, or, or Arya Stark. I like the idea of Arya going west of west. I love that kind of stuff. That could be something with her ending to the story. But are you going to be satisfied if we don't know what happens? Or are you going to be dissatisfied if we do? Would you like to keep it open-ended? Would you like the show to end? There to be, I think, you know, the Battle of the Night King is not going to end the series. I can't see that happening. I think we are going to have a what happens after. But I'm talking about after and after. Are you going to want to hear, see old John Aegon Targaryen on the throne? Or as an elected ruler, are you going to want to see his children? Are you going to want to see people traveling north because the wall no longer exists or the wall no longer matters? Free folk going south to Dorne. Maybe Tormund hits the shores of Dorne. Maybe Tormund dances in the water gardens. Uh, takes the broken fingers across. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe Davos sails onto Essos. Enjoys a good brew uh, over in Karth. Uh, do you want to see that kind of stuff? Is that just too much of a happy, sappy ending? Is it a, just a, a trope you don't want to see used in this story? Or are you going to want to leave it up to your own mind, your own devices? I'm a little bit happier with that idea than needing to know, even just in general, what happened to the guys. But I will admit, I'm going to want to know. I'm going to want to know what George R. R. Martin thinks. 
So maybe he can release some sort of a follow-up. Uh, not necessarily a book, but just like an essay. <laughs> a picture book? A travel companion guide? I don't know. Something where we get what he thinks is the answer. Headcanon is great. I'm fine with explaining the story uh, to yourself. But, uh, I mean, I had an episode 7 of Star Wars written from uh, my childhood on in my brain. I knew what happened. But I would be interested because George's uh, world is so well built here. He is uh, such in command of this universe he's created. I'd like to know what he thinks happens after, even if it's not an official capacity in a show or in a book. But what do you guys think? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. And why not pitch some possible endings? Do Tormund and Brienne get together? Does uh, um, does Sansa find love and become a ruler in the North? Do rulers even matter? What happens to Theon Greyjoy? You guys pitch me those stories. Does Tyrion open up a brothel in a bar? Just a good bar and grill? What does he do? I want to hear it. You guys let me know here on Daily Thrones. Don't forget to favorite the station so you can never miss a broadcast. If we're on, you're on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. That would help us out more here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. So about Sam being the one who is actually telling the story in the books and in the show, maybe. Uh, I don't think they will actually do that. I, I just think they they're kind of winking at us uh like to get the idea on our heads and to maybe speculate that that will be the ending or that even that is what what is actually happening i mean maybe sam is actually the one telling the story they're just simply not gonna not gonna tell us that like explicitly that sam is telling the story so i think it's just like a, a little wink to us that that may be what is happening, but I don't think that will be the the ending, like Sam closing the books and saying, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, or this has been the Game of Thrones, or something like that. So, But yeah, it, it's really interesting and cool. Hey, Ken, so talking about weddings, my sister's actually getting married November 22nd, and she's tried to get into Game of Thrones. She's watched the pilot a bunch of times. She knows what a massive fan I am. I've tried explaining things to her, but she's just... Hasn't been able to get in, into it, but I did give her the first book. She promises she will read it, so I think maybe that could potentially help. But at my wedding someday, whoever the girl is, I would like it if she was into Game of Thrones where I could get her into Game of Thrones because I would even just for fun at the reception like to say like the Game of Thrones vows, you know, warrior, maiden, crone, all that stuff. I think that would be fun. Hey, hey, what's up, Ken? Going to what you were talking about, about uh, uh, what happens after, you know, I kind of think, I mean, it's natural for us to be intrigued. Uh, I know myself, I kind of, not that I need to know, I, I very much want to know what happens after, you know, how does life in Westeros continue after everything that is about to transpire with the War of the Dawn, uh, with the potential uh, last war of Westeros? You know, how is how is season eight going to end? What does happen afterwards? I mean, I don't know if it's tropey. I don't know if it's uh, uh, it doesn't have to be a happy ending. It really doesn't. Matter of fact, it'd probably be better that it's not. But I kind of think I need to know 
how does life continue after all of the things that are about to happen? Do you guys just have random Game of Thrones thoughts that pop in your head every day? Uh, well, I mean, I hope you do. I hope that's why you're listening, and I hope you put your random thoughts into a phone call here on Day of the Thrones. I have a couple as uh, uh, as my brain, uh, you know, ideas rattle around my brain. Some of them take, some of them don't. Uh, what happened to the people of Dorne? I can accept the idea that, hey, their leadership is God. First, you know, Ilaria San kills Prince Duran. There's one leader gone. Tristane, gone. Quentin, non-existent. Um, then she herself, gone. Sand Snakes, gone. The leadership in Dorne is gone, and most of their army, I can understand and accept, is gone. That's what Euron Greyjoy did. That is the leap you take in that storyline. But Dorne has always been bumbled, right? The Dorne storyline never really saw, thought through on TV. There's still Dornish people. And that's one of the questions. Who is who is leading them? Could they, with what's left of them, rise up and seek revenge? Could they attack Cersei from the south? I know, again, the idea is pretty simple. When season seven began, Cersei was surrounded, literally standing on the map explaining why she had almost no way out. And one by one, she evens the odds. And Dorne is no longer a threat. But I'm looking for allies for the big war. Could Jon Snow seek help from them? Couldn't the people of Westeros huddle down in Dorne and gear up and fight? That could be a possible strategy. I know winter will come to Dorne. That's part of what's going on. You already see it coming at King's Landing. But maybe, if, if just maybe, everyone could sync up. This is, this is why Cersei holds, holds a lot of cards in her hand and is messing things up. If she could just play nice for a while. Everyone could move on down to Dorne, form up a line, get ready, get some dragons going, uh, build some flaming trebuchets, and maybe make one final stand. Yeah, the Night King would take a lot of people on the way down, but maybe, just maybe, once again, Dorne would help people not kneel. Another thought I had about the Tournament of Harrenhal. Would you guys be on board for a Tournament of Harrenhal movie? It's something they won't do in the prequel series. Robert's Rebellion, which essentially began there on that day in a lot of ways, um, is not going to be done. They already said the prequel series would not have characters, you know, all those kind of things. But a, a Hall tournament movie. Two hours of what happens. Two hours of seeing it all there. But some of the cast you already seen in some of the flashbacks. Go with it. You know, you got the night of the, uh, the laughing tree. You got all these subplots. Hal and Reed. Uh, Benjamin Stark, Lyanna Stark, um, you got all these ki- king, you got the king actually showing up, you got these lords and ladies, Baelish could be there, a lot could go on. All under the structure of the tournament itself. Then end with Robert's Rebellion essentially beginning with Rhaegar choosing Lyanna in front of everybody, not his wife, Elia Martell. So, could you guys be on board for that? Would you be interested in just a Hall movie? And could HBO, if they have these prequel series ideas and they choose one, could the other ones not so much be series, but would you be happy if they were HBO movies? I definitely, uh, I'm definitely uh, on board for that kind of storytelling. I think it could work. I think it could work. So let me guys, let me know what you think, guys. Pitch a 
Game of Thrones movie to me. And what about the people of Dorne? You guys let me know here on Daily Thrones. I'm Ken Apsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And I'm on the road coming back down from a wedding, having uh, had a lot of fun. But let's talk traveling in Game of Thrones. Who's the best traveling companion? There's a lot of roads to travel in Game of Thrones. The Demon's Road. You don't want to travel that one. Down the the roads of the Rhone River. You can cross the seas. You can march down the King's Road. You can march north, way beyond the wall. Who do you want at your side? Who's the best traveling companion? There's a lot of things to factor in, of course. Uh, like, uh, is it just pure entertainment value? Tyrion might be your guy. Is it safety? Then Brienne might be your woman, but let's be honest, I love Brienne of Tarth, but she's not the most entertaining traveling companion. So I'm not sure that's, uh, that's my choice, even though I'm a fan of that character. Tyrion, I'm not gonna really defend you, though... He defended Caitlin Stark, Catelyn Stark pretty well. Just give him a shield. Make sure his hands are free. Uh, Jamie Lannister? Well, depends on what Jamie you get. He's done a lot of traveling. And he seems to be always conflicted, mopey, sad. And that's when he's free. When he was a prisoner, he was almost unbearable. How Brienne didn't kill him, I don't know. Just because I guess she's an oathkeeper. Jon Snow? Brooding. Stannis Baratheon, I love him, but he'd probably drive you into the ground. I think the best traveling companions in Game of Thrones, the ones I would choose, I'd have to look at Jorah Mormont. I'm a Jorah guy, but I will admit Jorah is a bit dour. That might not be that fun. Davos Seaworth, he knows the world, he knows the lands. I think he'd be good, but he doesn't really... He doesn't consider himself a fighter. Definitely more of a sailor. If we needed to smuggle something in, including myself, he'd be my choice. But I want to avoid the seas in Game of Thrones. Doesn't seem real safe out there. Tormund Giant's Bane would be good, especially if I'm north of the Wall, but Tormund kind of, despite a lot of skill, is limited. It's just north of the Wall. South, he's going to be useless. There's one character in Game of Thrones that has traveled all the lands. He can defend you, defend you well, and be entertaining too. Sing you a song. And that is Braun. So Braun of the Blackwater. That would be my traveling companion. The Hound is a good honorable mention. Hey, Arya's not bad herself. She'll defend you, but she seems to be a bit of a a loner. And the Hound... Not the most entertaining one as well. And if you snore during your sleep, he might just kill you in the middle of the night on your camp. No, I like the idea of Braun. He's a good traveling companion. He checks off a lot of boxes. You need to be entertained. You need to be defended and more than any other character. He certainly knows the lay of the land. So that's my answer for the best traveling companion in Game of Thrones. You guys, well, you know what to do. Give me a call. Let me know who you want to travel with. Let me know the circumstances. You might be divided up. Look, if it has to be water, I'm probably taking Davos. Definitely not taking Theon or Yara or uh, uh, Euron Greyjoy. Uh, I don't want that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bronn, I don't know how good he is out there on the water. 
So maybe Davos is that choice. But you guys, you guys know what to do. Let me know. Give me your choice for the best traveling companion in Game of Thrones. Hey, Ken, so Braun is an excellent choice for a traveling companion. He would probably be my number one choice. So I'll talk about my honorable mention, and that is the Red Viper. I think he would also be very, very entertaining. He's someone who likes to drink. He's someone who likes his women, which is something I like. Um, I know he likes guys, too, and that's fine. He can have the guys. And he's also someone who definitely would be able to defend me. He's a warrior. You know, the only reason he lost to the mountain was because... He got a little too cocky, so I would definitely have to say, if not Braun, I would go with the Red Viper. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Uh, the person I am choosing is going to be Robert Baratheon all the way back in season one. Braun's a great choice. He's definitely in my top five of traveling companions, but he's not the best. And why Robert Baratheon is the best is he's got all the food and drink he could possibly want. He's got uh, <clears throat> traveling companions for himself and his guests. Uh, you might even strike up a conversation with Littlefinger, who'd be along because he's traveling with the King of the Seven Kingdoms. There's not a force on the planet other than uh, someone trying to invade that's going to mess with you going to the destination that you want. And let's be honest, there's going to be those uncomfortable times, like in the car or on the road, where you need to have, you know, bronze, you can have a great time early, but then you get those quiet, awkward silences until a sub pops up or is dropped in front of you. The King of the Seven Kingdoms would always have something for you to do. Thanks. Great calls keeping Daily Thrones afloat here today as I am back from the road. That's right. I've been traveling down. You guys had some good answers for who your favorite traveling companion would be. And I do agree with Kevin here that King Robert Baratheon does know how to travel in style. That 30-day trip from King's Landing up to Winterfell might be long and grueling, but if you got Robert Baratheon there, you got some good food, some good drink, and some good stories, that's some entertainment. That's a good answer there. Red Viper, also a good backup choice from Eric. Keep your road companion choices coming in if you want here as Daily Thrones moves on. I'm back into the swing of things after a good trip north uh, to a wedding in Carmel, California for Josh McCook over there, TV Tuck, Collider Video, Schmoes, no fame. A uh, lot of fun. Uh, we had talked uh, previously here on Daily Thrones the last couple days about the influence of Game of Thrones on weddings. And I will say this was, this wedding did not include any Game of Thrones references, which was different from the Game of Thrones wedding I went to in June up in Northern California. This one contained, uh, and it was nice. It was nice to just celebrate and not worry about anyone pulling out some bowcasters there, some, uh, uh, you know, what's the Chewbacca's weapon, you know what I mean, some crossbows. I get my fandoms mixed up. It's late. I've been traveling all day on the road. Uh, but it was nice to celebrate that. There's some Game of Thrones stuff we want to talk about going into this week, and I'll reach out to you guys to get it started. We have a Simpsons-themed episode, a uh, Game of Thrones Simpsons-themed episode, I should say. Jamie Lannister himself voicing it. Haven't had a chance to see it yet. I believe it aired tonight, if I uh, believe the sto stories I saw. But again, I'm on the road, so you guys fill me in. i uh, talk more about what's coming up in Season 8. And I want to start looking more individually at characters all across the world of Ice and Fire. Some of our favorite characters doing little profiles, talking about these characters with you here. Daily Thrones, you guys are so good at that there. And, uh, you know... We all got a band together. Season 8, 
I know, it seems like a long time away. That shooting schedule, that shooting schedule just keeps stretching out. But I think this is going to be worth the wait. And let's, you know, I, that news about the budgets per episode being the highest it's ever been makes me happy. I mean, uh, that also makes sense. If you're cutting down the episodes, take some of that money and move it around, though those budgets sometimes are hard to move around if you know the business of show. Um, But I'm excited that we're going to get uh, everything thrown at these episodes with some great directors, the scripts locked, building towards the end, and this news of, hey, the big budgets, that's good. We want some mini-movies. We are getting six many movies in a way game of thrones was always uh, a 10-part movie season seven seemed uh, more theatrical and that's what gives me hope about season eight and why it's going to take some time but the end result will be better um you know season seven was so cinematic and seven parts i think it was like two movies if everything else previous seasons were one 10-part movie this was like two movies crammed into seven episodes big stuff exciting stuff and i have a lot of confidence that uh season eight i don't need these episodes to be a full two hours i know that's not what we're getting but uh you know then then you might as well just make seven eight episode season here six episodes give me hour hour 15 hour 20 uh for each episode and i'll be good and i think we'll be able to get everything we need done but uh that is a ways away we got a lot to talk about here on Daily Thrones. Back at it full swing tomorrow. I'm going to uh, release the big podcast edition of all the uh, uh, episodes that took place while I was traveling. Put them all together for you guys. If you've been a daily podcast listener, thanks for your patience on that. And uh, that's it, guys. You can hear my voice. I'm probably a little tired. I feel like I feel like Jorah uh, on the road with Tyrion, just exhausted, fighting everything off. And then you learn. You got grayscale, right? Ah, that's what it is. But anyways, you guys keep me afloat here. We are a Game of Thrones, Daily Thrones community right here on Anchor. Spread the word. Let's get a lot more, a lot, a lot of new ears listening to this show as we build towards season eight. That's it, guys. I'll see you next time and tomorrow on Daily Thrones. <laughs>